0: Hey, today we're going to finish the series that we've been in for the last, uh, this will be the seventh week, From Ordinary to Extraordinary. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this series because I've learned a lot with each character that I've been able to dive deeper into in order to uh, understand at a deeper level and then have something to present to you. Today we're going to talk about somebody who's been a controversial character, but I think she's actually quite wonderful. And... uh, we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene so I would like to read for you uh, John chapter 20 verses 1 to 18 on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved and said they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, "Rabbani," which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this early witness of the resurrection. Thank you for the faithfulness in coming to grips with what Mary's mind and the mind of others really had to wrestle with at first. What did all this evidence mean? Thank you that they were able to not only see the empty tomb, but to see Jesus and to hear his voice and to spend some time with him as he unfolded from the scriptures all that had been prophesied about his life and what this meant. Lord, give us greater and greater understanding on what living in the light of the resurrection means for us today. For it gives us hope that you are the God who has conquered sin and death, and you are the one who gives us life and a promise of an eternal life, a new kind of life that transforms how we live our days now, but that also extends all the way to our hopes for the kingdom of heaven one day in the future. Guide us during this time as we try to live within the troubles of this world as citizens of the kingdom that is yet to come and of this new eternal life that you have brought to us. We pray that we will live well with these truths and with this new reality that is within all of us who have faith in Jesus. That you are making us alive in a different way, and that you are giving us a hope that is so powerful that. It rises above all of the difficulties of this life and all the setbacks and all the pitfalls that we fall into. I pray that you will make us resilient people. You'll make us people of of hope and prayer and faithfulness and people who are bold like Mary and not afraid to proclaim what we have discovered about you so that others can find you. Lord, we pray that your influence will be at work in us and throughout this world today that there will be more and more people who will call out on you, and by calling out on you and leaning into you and surrendering to you, that we will, in fact, restrain the evil that we often come up against in this world. Use this time for our good today and for our instruction. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Patterson, who is a prolific author and a pastor in Washington, D.C., tells a story about a fascinating conversation between Sir Ken Robinson and Sir Paul McCartney of Beatles fame. They both grew up in Liverpool, England, and had not known each other until this particular interview. But Robinson was doing some research on McCartney and discovered in the process that McCartney had not done all that well in his musical studies in high school, and that surprised him. His teacher had given him poor marks and didn't notice anything that would be described as innate talent in Paul McCartney. Can you imagine that? So they were talking about this in the interview, and Robinson said, this seems outrageous, doesn't it? But the story got even better from that point. McCartney added that George Harrison had had the same high school music teacher, and George didn't do any better than Paul. At that point in the conversation, Sir Ken Robinson says to Paul McCartney, The teacher had half of the Beatles in his classes and didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. I love that. What that particular music teacher missed was the extraordinary drive that lived within these two young men that he saw as rather ordinary students. I wonder how many times scenes like that have played out in the history of our world and how many times that... uh, people who really were quite extraordinary in terms of the hopes that they had, the vision they had, the drive that they had, were seemed to be so ordinary that nobody else could ever have imagined that great things would come from them. This morning we're going to look at one more ordinary person whose life had an extraordinary impact. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And in our current series, From Ordinary to Extraordinary, we've been discovering how ordinary people can have extraordinary impact on others today when the Lord enters the the equation. So let me say welcome to all of you who are here at North River Church this morning. Thank you for gathering together in our worship center here in Pembroke. After months of shutdown services and then online-only services and then limited seating, remember that when we had everything six feet apart in all different directions? It is so good to see so many of you coming back and this place filling up again and people flowing back to our our worship here together. Let me also welcome all of you who are online today as part of our, our wider congregation. Streaming our services has allowed us to expand our reach right into your home, and we're glad about that. Some of you are checking us out because this becomes the new front door before you ever show up here in our campus in person. And I want to say welcome. Some of you are also finding that this online access works best in your life at this time. We understand that. Welcome to you as well. And some of you are watching from a distance. I know every week I hear from friends in New Hampshire, Ohio, North Carolina, California, Pennsylvania, Florida, who have remained connected with us through this particular tool. And we're really glad about that. Wherever you are, pull out your Bible if you have one. Download or grab a hold of the message notes. Crank up the volume at home. Pray with us, sing with us, and let's dive in and learn together and trust that God will continue His work of making us a little bit more like Jesus each time we gather together, each time we study His Word, each time we surrender to Him. The title of this morning's message is First Witness, and the the, the message is about Mary Magdalene. And we're asking, what were the contributions of Mary Magdalene to Jesus and the gospel story when you realize that... Over time and throughout history, she has become somewhat of a controversial character. Now, why is she controversial? Well, in 591 AD, Gregory I, who was the Pope at that time, uh, announced that she was the sinful woman of John of uh, Luke chapter 7, who cries at Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her tears and dries it with her hair, and says that she was a known prostitute at that time. The problem was, the Bible doesn't make that connection with Mary Magdalene, but Pope Gregory I had decided that's who this was. It took until 1969 until the Roman Catholic Church admitted that this was a mistake and they'd actually done harm to the reputation of Mary Magdalene. Then in 2005, Dan Brown broke out with his Da Vinci Code where he resurrected an an old myth that had been around for a long, long time that Mary Magdalene was actually in love with Jesus and that she was Jesus' secret wife. Of course, that's been debunked as well many times over. But she's become a controversial character because of all the other stories that go beyond the Gospels. And this morning, we're going to look at what the Gospels teach us about Mary Magdalene. Here's the big idea for this morning. A life of gratitude toward Jesus leads us to amazing places and roles. Mary lived a life of gratitude toward Jesus. So Mary actually becomes the first witness Of the resurrection. And we're going to look at four discoveries from Mary Magdalene under this heading of first witness to the resurrection. Here's the first lesson, first discovery. We serve a Lord who elevates the role of women. We find in Luke chapter 8 this first introduction to Mary, among with some others who were part of a, a band of followers who are traveling with Jesus and the disciples. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, meaning the disciples, were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And then Luke named some of them. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, The manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support him out of their own means. Mary Magdalene is mentioned 12 times in the Bible. This is more than some of Jesus' own disciples. She came from a village known as Magdala, a fishing village on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The people there were referred to as Magdalenes, that's where this title that becomes the the second part of her name actually arises from. So Luke chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 introduces us to her by telling us that seven demons had been removed from her. This means that she'd had seven spiritual problems that she could not solve on her own and Jesus had released her from this great spiritual oppression. The social roles of women in Israel had changed by the time of the first century. In the past few weeks, we've learned about some other women who were part of this Ordinary to Extraordinary series. We learned that Abigail, for instance, was a wise woman who had saved her household by acting as a mediator between her angry, foolish husband and the future King David. Then we saw how Deborah had led Israel for 40 40 years of peace during her time as a prophet and as a judge over all Israel, even leading the armies of Israel into battle along with the general Barak. If we were to do a complete study of women in the Old Testament, we would find a number of amazing things. Moses' sister Miriam was a prophet and worship leader for the nation of Israel. Huldah was a prophetess who was consulted by King Josiah. Ruth provided for her troubled household in the fields of Bethlehem when she was the sole provider. Proverbs 31 praises the work ethic of women who run businesses like a merchant. But then there's a big change that comes that you probably notice when you read the Gospels. Women in first century Judaism became more confined to a private family sphere of life. Only when women were in dire financial straits or the the only and primary breadwinner of the family were they seen as engaging in business or, or trade. The Pharisees and religious leaders of the first century looked down on their contributions. In public, they were heavily veiled or prohibited from conversing with men openly. And then Jesus enters the scene. And when Jesus entered this culture, he welcomed women into his sphere of influence like nobody before in the land of Israel. Where do we see this? Well, we see this from the outset of, the genealogy, in Jesus, of uh, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. We see four women who are listed prior to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who played prominent roles in the line of Jesus. Even there, in Matthew's gospel, we see evidence that the gospel of Jesus overturns the injustices that women often experience. So we find a redeemed sex worker named Rahab. We find an incest survivor, Tamar, an immigrant widow, Ruth, and a woman who was involved in a huge power imbalance with the king that led to adultery and even murder. Her name was Bathsheba, became the wife of King David. We see that Jesus welcomed a team of women here in Luke chapter 8 and who cared for and financed his public ministry. We see Jesus inviting Mary, the sister of Martha, to sit as he he taught the rest of the male disciples, as if she was one of his disciples. And we see Jesus breaking conventional rules in conversation with the woman at the well that he meets in John chapter 4. Their conversation moved from talking about her shame-inducing relational history to his offer of water that refreshes the soul and leads to eternal life. So we discover that we serve a Lord who elevated the role of women in the inclusion of Mary Magdalene and these other women who are part of that surrounding supporting group shows us some of the signs of this. Second, we find that a life of gratitude is kingdom work. Look at the third verse that I just read from Luke chapter 8. It says, These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Luke lets us know that Mary Magdalene was a key supporter of Jesus' ministry. Magdala was known for importing smoked fish from the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and it was sold all around Israel and to other countries as well. This village also exported fine wool and woolen dyes. Many of the people who lived there, because of this growing business community, were financially independent. This means that the people of Magdala may have smelled like fish, but they had a a healthy and wealthy income stream. Different from how she is often portrayed in the movies about Jesus, Mary Magdalene appears among a group of women who use their wealth to financially support Jesus. Why would she do this? The first key detail that Luke provides is that she had gone through a huge spiritual healing. It says that seven evil spirits... Had been chased away at Jesus' command. Luke does not describe the scene. He doesn't tell us blow by blow. He just matter of factly tells us that this was the case, that she had been released from this great oppression. We don't often talk about demons or people who've been released from their control, but with every demon comes an area of loss or a high degree of control by that that spirit. Prior to experiencing Jesus' power, her life had to be a mess. So Luke's description is a simple but powerful darkness to light scenario. And Mary was ever more grateful to Jesus for giving her life back to her and for giving her a new perspective on life. And her gratitude showed up through her generosity. You and I can impact Christ and and His kingdom with our gratitude and our generosity as well. We can follow after her lead. This combination of gratitude and generosity is powerful. Think about the love, grace, and healing that Jesus has produced in your life. Mary of Magdala did this and became part of this group of women who were the financial support team of Jesus and who also supported his disciples. Imagine that. Here we are 2,000 years later and we're remarking about the support team today. These were business women. And some of them were women of means who'd become kingdom builders and they realized they were laying it all out on the line to say whatever Jesus needs will supply. Their impact was quiet yet so impactful that Luke records their names here in the gospel and they are permanently there until Jesus comes again. There will be Christians that are celebrating this reality. I believe that God still quietly prompts men and women to take on these roles today every christ follower should be a giver most of us should be principled givers where we decide beforehand there's a percentage of what god blesses us with that we're going to invest into his work in the in the world but some people will be moved by the lord in such a way that they become extravagant givers they go beyond anything that we would call a tithe or even sacrificial givers where there's some aspect of building the kingdom of god that moves them so deeply that they greatly reduce their portfolio in order to fund what God is doing in the world. That's the kind of person that Mary Magdalene was. That's what Luke is telling us here. Why? A life of gratitude toward Jesus leads us to amazing roles and places. Here's the third discovery we make from Mary Magdalene. A life of gratitude to Jesus puts us in the midst of God's story. In John chapter 19, we read some of the account of when Jesus was taken to the cross, and we discover some of the people who were standing nearby. Starting in verse 25, John writes, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to this disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. When Jesus scared the demons out of Mary Magdalene, and I have no doubt that they were terrified of Jesus, she had no idea where this would lead. And the path eventually led to the scene of the cross. Mark says that this group stood at a distance. John, who was actually there, says that they were standing near the cross. While their perspectives about proximity may differ slightly, don't miss the the specific detail that all four gospel writers record that Mary Magdalene was there at the scene of the cross. This is the essential detail. She was one of the few, one of the most faithful, who watched over Jesus right to the end. How does something like this happen? This began with Mary Magdalene joining the grateful women who supported Jesus, As they traveled, they marveled over Jesus' teaching, they wept at his trial and execution, and they became bonded like family. Jesus is the one who explains that connection for us. He describes the scene, or or John describes the scene that is here at the foot of the cross as Jesus speaks from the cross to his mother Mary and also to his friend John. He says, here is your son, here is your mother, Choosing the way of Jesus has a way of building connections that are often stronger than family. The theological principle here is, is the idea of adoption, the spiritual adoption that is talked about in the Gospels and also in the New Testament letters. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it tells us that those who believe in Jesus and who receive Him as the Lord and as the Son of God become children of God through their faith in Jesus. Peter goes on to describe this as a spiritual rebirth, and Paul uses the word adoption that we are, we are adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God who have rights in the same way that Jesus does. We belong to God's family in a profound way. Even though most of the disciples fled, Mary Magdalene was there at the foot of the cross, and this is where Jesus offered himself as an atonement for sin. This is where the triune God's plan for redeeming the world reached its fulfillment. And she was there with Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, and with John, hearing Jesus forgive his executioners, hearing Jesus offer a thief a home in heaven that day, and hearing him say, it is finished, as he breathed his last. God's story, the story of Christ in his kingdom, continues on today. And just as Mary was there in the midst of the unfolding of this part of the redemptive plan, following Jesus places us in the midst of God's continuing story as his story continues to play out. In the midst of moments where the light of the kingdom pushes back the darkness, you will find yourself there the more you follow Jesus. In the midst of moments of grace filling the hearts of people who find Jesus, you will find yourself caught up in the midst of these stories. The longer you walk with Jesus and the longer... You are willing to let others know about the light that has entered your soul, the life that is fueling who you are today. So we've looked at four discoveries from Mary so far. First, we serve a Lord who elevated the role of women. Second, that a life of gratitude is actually kingdom work. Third, a life of gratitude toward Jesus puts us in the midst of God's story. And then here's the fourth discovery from Mary Magdalene. A life of gratitude toward Jesus Positions us for unexpected roles. We discover three things about Mary from John chapter 20. Let me walk you through them very quickly. Here's the first. Mary was the first to discover the empty tomb. So John writes in the opening verses of chapter 20, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples. Mary is the first one who got up early in the morning, goes down to the tomb. She wants to lay flowers, perhaps bring some, some more of, of the, uh, the seasonings that they had brought to remove the stench from the grave. And she sees the stone rolled away. She's the one who starts things in motion and tells Peter and John. It's like Paul Revere, seeing that light up in the, in the Old North Church and beginning to begin that ride along with Dawes and the other riders. Second, Mary was the first to see and hear the risen Jesus before any of the disciples had. Jump down to verse 15, same chapter. Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Isn't this an amazing story? She doesn't get that this is Jesus talking to her. The concept that Jesus has risen from the dead hasn't fully broken in yet. She says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. I love this. I'm going to go get Jesus. In other words, she's saying, if you just tell me where he's laying, I'll go get him. I'll pick up his 175-pound body and I'll bring Jesus to where he needs to be. And Jesus says to her in a way that breaks through, he calls her name, Mary. And at that point, she turns toward him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. And third, Mary was the first to announce the resurrection to the disciples. She becomes the first witness of the resurrection, the first preacher, if you will, of the resurrection. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Three amazing firsts that were given to Mary Magdalene. First to discover the empty tomb, first to see and hear the risen Jesus, First herald or preacher of the resurrection. As the kingdom of God advances, there are God-ordained roles yet to be played that are just as surprising as the role that Mary found herself in. Don't be surprised whether you are male or female, young or old, when the Lord taps you on the shoulder. Most often, he taps the shoulders of those who are living in gratitude toward Jesus. I have a mission for you. I have somebody I want you to tell what you know. I have somebody I want you to tell what you have seen. That's all you're responsible for. And that gratitude is expressed in drawing close to Jesus and being available in those moments. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana quite hard in late August. There was a young man named Chris Moretz who decided to ride out the storm at home alone alone. By the time the worst of the storm had passed, his home was flooded and nearly destroyed. He said, I was optimistic, naive, curious, and dumb afterward. (laughs) He was in the house when the water began to pour in, and when the water finally got waist deep, he opened up a window and he simply swam out the window to get out of his house before it would fall down. Soon he found a small boat and he took refuge in the boat but he decided that he needed to let his family who lived in Tucson, Arizona, know that he was still alive. At some point he found some paint and he painted a rooftop message that's what you're seeing behind me. A rooftop message that was uh, painted with this window C. Moritz is still alive and then he posted his brother's phone number and Tucson, Arizona afterward news cameras caught that bit of footage as they were scanning the wreckage of the storm and within within hours calls with good news began pouring in from people all around the country who saw those photos and began looking up his brother and calling that number that they'd seen and trying to give them the good news that his brother Chris Moretz was still alive like Mary Magdalene we are messengers of that same euphoria that same good news Jesus is alive. And you know what? There are an awful lot of people who think that Jesus is still a, a, a fictional or historical character only and don't realize that the Jesus that we serve is alive. And you and I are continually commissioned in the same way as Mary Magdalene to tell the story of what we know, to tell the story of what Jesus is still doing in our lives and throughout this world today. And a life of gratitude toward Jesus leads us to amazing roles and places. And I think it's going to be a blast when we get to the end in the kingdom of God and we get to tell the stories of where He took us and who we talked to and who was impacted. Because God is in the business of taking ordinary people like you and me and doing extraordinary things when we're available to Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all these folks who are part of North River. I thank you for the way that we, we together are being impacted by the stories of people from the Old Testament and the New Testament who have had proximity to who you are and what you're doing and who, at least for a moment, have had some profound impact on other people. I pray that you would use our lives in that same way. Hear us when we whisper you to you, this morning Lord I want to be available I don't know how you will use me I don't know who I can encourage or who you will have me talk to about the things that I know and the things that I'm discovering about you but I am available when you decide to tap my shoulder and give me that nudge that it's time to step forward and Lord I ask that you will give each of us the courage and the faith to step into those moments and to watch you at work and to marvel over the places that you take us and the things that you allow us to see when we are in the midst of your missional work in this world. Thank you for stories like Mary Magdalene, and we pray that you will repeat this over and over again through our lives too. In Jesus' mighty name.